Okay, last week we uh, we were in Romans chapter 4 and we were looking at uh, verses 13 through 17. Here's your study sheet for next week. And uh, today we want to pick it up with verse 18. Lord willing, and just look at uh, four verses, verses 18 through verse 21. But uh, let's take a few moments as we typically do and kind of recall in our minds what we talked about last week. Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 21. 13 through 17, excuse me. What did we talk about? What do you remember that we talked about last week? Okay. Okay. So it was not based on the law. Uh, and uh, that actually leads into the subject of the progression. There's a progression through Romans chapter 4 that we talked about last week. And uh, what uh, Hal just mentioned is step three out of four steps in that progression. Do anybody remember what is the progression that we see in chapter 4? <clears throat> that the promise comes... By faith, apart from what? Okay, first in verses uh, uh, 3 through about verse 8 or so, it's apart from works. And then what? Apart from circumcision. And then, as Hal mentioned last week, apart from the law. And today, we're going to find out that it's even faith apart from sight. <laughs> and... Uh, so, that's kind of the progression that he goes through in Romans chapter 4. That righteousness or the promise or justification. And he uses those words kind of interchangeably in Romans. Now, they're not synonymous, but he uses them somewhat interchangeably so that, uh, so that when, so we understand it's a package deal. This idea of justification, the idea of being made righteous, the idea of obtaining the promise of God or securing the promise of God, which is what we'll be talking about a lot today, that all that's really a package deal and it all comes uh, by faith. Okay, It comes by faith apart from uh, the law. It comes by faith apart, or, excuse me, apart from works, apart from circumcision, and apart from uh, the law. And like I said, today we'll see apart even from sight. Welcome, Ginger. Good to see you here today. You you wanted me to point you out, didn't you? Call everybody's attention to you. Okay. Well, it's good to see you here. <laughs> so, okay. What else did we talk about? Okay, okay. He talks about us being the descendants of Abraham. But it's not that we are his physical descendants, 
but that we are we are descendants in the sense that we are of the faith of Abraham. And and what that means when he says we are Abraham's descendants, it means that we are co-partakers with Abraham in the promise that was given to Abraham. So it's not just that we're just kind of called his descendants. You know, it's not just kind of like a kind of a uh, an honorary degree, whatever, that you just give somebody, but it really has no meaning. OK, it really does mean something. We really are Abraham's descendants as far as being his heirs. Now, how does that happen? How can it be that you and I who really have no physical connection to Abraham could be Abraham's descendants? Okay, we have faith, and but, and I knew that's the answer I was going to get because it's the obvious answer. But there's another answer in the passage. What is it that makes that possible? Okay, let's go down to the last verse of the passage that we looked at last week. Grace, okay. <laughs> All these answers are right, so I can't tell you you're wrong, but it's not the answer I'm looking for. Well, the promise of God. Okay, but how? So God promised it. How does it happen? He creates it out of nothing. Our God is a God who creates ex nihilo, out of nothing. <laughs> I know. I'm lousy, at, I'm lousy at manipulating you people to give me the answers I want. I need to be a better manipulator. Uh, <laughs> but I couldn't figure out a better way to ask the question. But the, the way this happens, the, 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 the thing that makes it possible that we could be made the descendants of Abraham, that we could be the heirs of the same promise that he received. The way that's possible is that God, uh, God uh, makes alive that which is dead and he calls into being those things which do not exist. Okay. So in other words, it was an impossible thing. It was just an impossible thing from man's perspective, but God is able to do that. And this is the God, he says, in whom Abraham believed, and it is before this God that we are made descendants of Abraham. Okay? That we become fellow heirs of that promise that was given to Abraham. Okay? What else? Remember we talked about two of something. Now, how's that for a good question? Huh? <laughs> we talked about two what? Categories. There we go. Sarah can read my mind. <laughs> two categories. Okay. And those categories are what? Okay. The law and grace. And what we come to understand is these are really two separate things. And, and the category of law has those things which pertain to it and come from it. And the category of grace has those things which pertain to it and come from it. And the reason why the promise cannot be acquired or secure, secured through the law is because it's in a different category than the law, right? The promise is in the category of grace. 
So how do you secure the promise if it's in the category of grace rather than in the category of the law? How is it secured? By faith. faith. Yeah. Because faith has to do with grace. And works has to do with the law. And the law brings about what? Wrath. Okay, that's what he says in the passage. The law brings about wrath, but grace and faith bring about what? The promise. Yeah. It brings about the promise. So there are two different categories. So so what we have to be careful with is we have to be careful with with mixing these categories, getting our categories confused. And oftentimes people do that and even Christians do that. And so they begin to think in terms of even though, and and this was a real problem with the Galatians, that even though they were saved by grace through the working of the Holy Spirit, they begin to think in terms of being justified or sanctified through the law. And Paul says, wait a minute, you you know you were saved by grace. You know you were saved by the Spirit. How is it that now you think you're going to be kept through the keeping of the law? Okay, so it's a real tendency that we have to mix these categories and we need to keep them distinct in our mind. The promise comes by grace through faith. Okay, and go ahead uh, about those two things. The one category brings about uncertainty. And he says in verse 16 that it's through faith or by faith through. through <laughs> by grace through. By faith through grace. Yeah. That it may be certain. Yeah. Good. That in order that the promise may be certain to all the sinners. Great. And I was just thinking that mm-hmm. through the law, you're uncertain. You think, well, did I do enough? Did I get all these things right? Did I miss something? Yeah. But there's certainty. Yeah. Faith in Great. Good observation. Great. Okay, well, let's pick it up then in verse... Uh, well, let's pick it up in the middle of verse 17, which we looked at last week, and read down through verse 21, uh, the passage that we're looking at today. Uh, there in verse 17, he says, in, in the middle of 17, he says, in the presence of him, uh, so I'm actually coming in right in the middle of the sentence, but you'll forgive me for that. In the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope, he believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Well, those are great verses, which is why I'm only trying to do just a few of them today. Okay? And and it begins there in verse 18 with that statement about Abraham hoping against hope he believed. Okay, now we need to keep. It, but the reason I read the last part of verse 17 is we need to understand, we need to remember that this statement in hope against hope he believed that that statement falls on the heels of the statement he just made about God. That God is one who gives life to the dead and calls into being those things which do not exist. 
So this is the God that he said Abraham believed in. This is the God that Abraham hoped in. The God who gives life to that which is dead and calls into being those things which do not exist. And then he says of Abraham, it says he hoped against hope. Okay? Now, uh, that's kind of a cool phrase. Right? We read that and we go, oh, that's pretty neat. He hoped against hope. And then we go, I have no clue what it means. <laughs> right? It's one of those things that sounds really good and then you go, if I only knew what it meant. Okay? Well, it, uh, one, one old uh, uh, saint, a guy that lived back in the 4th century, a guy, guy, excuse me, an old saint by the name of uh, Chrysostom. Uh, I, I always slaughter the pronunciation of his name said this, he says, it was against man's hope and hope which is of God. Okay? The idea I think that Paul is trying to communicate here is that there's kind of two kinds of hope. There's a hope in man and in man's resources and man's ability and man's ability to reason and think this thing through. Okay? And so there's a hope that's predicated on that. And then there's a hope in God. Okay? And in this particular situation, the one hope is wholly inadequate. <laughs> and so it's against that hope that he actually hopes in God. And, and, and there's, a, there's a place for the idea of hoping in man. Okay? Let, let's just be honest about that. There's a place for that. Uh, we do it all the time. You know, all of you guys, probably most of you anyway, sat down last night about 7 o'clock and you were hoping in man, right? How did it work out for you? <laughs> for most of us, it didn't work out very good, right? Okay, Notre Dame, Notre Dame cleaned our clock. Okay, well, but in reality, there are God has given to man certain abilities, certain capabilities, certain intellectual abilities and physical abilities and things. And, and we employ those things every day doing things. And many times we do some pretty remarkable stuff. Now, maybe you don't or I don't. But there are some people who do, right? So we drive uh, down through downtown Oklahoma City now and we see that, that, that grand new uh, Devon Tower that they just opened up this week. And we marvel at the splendor and the achievement of the erection of this marvelous building downtown. And that's something that was done. Certainly God enabled it or empowered it. But it was done by people using their God-given abilities and using their intellect and using their skills. Probably many of them, maybe even most of them, weren't even believers but they were utilizing the things that God gave to them. And when they set out, when, uh, when uh, the company set out initially to build that tower, they hoped in man, right? And that hope was realized. We do that all the time. There, are, there is a place for that kind of thing. And mankind achieves remarkable things when, when they implement their abilities and their talents, their skills, their intellect, and, and, and sometimes even overcoming just tremendous odds and tremendous adversity. So, for example, we're real familiar with this here in Oklahoma, aren't we? Because we're always getting devastated by something. You know, if it's not a tornado, 
you know, it's an ice storm. You know, if it's not an ice storm, it's a firestorm. If it's not a firestorm, it's an earthquake. We're just having all kinds of stuff going on, right? And we just we just live with this all the time here in Oklahoma. And and so on the news after a, after a devastating storm or situation comes through, uh, one of the things that the news reporters do they go out and they interview people and what do they say? They they go out and they interview somebody standing there by their demolished or burned out shell of a home or whatever. And what do the people say? Almost without exception, they say what? We're going to rebuild. We're going to do this. We can do this. Oftentimes, they do give some glory to God, and that's appropriate. But basically, what they're saying is, through our determination and the abilities and the resources that we have, and that we're, we're going to do this, and we're going to put our lives back together. That's a good thing, folks. That's a good thing. We admire that in people. Okay, We admire the guys who looked at, at San Francisco Bay you know, and thought, we can build a bridge over that. We can do that. And they had hope that they could do that. And they got to work and they figured and they thought and they, and they overcame all the obstacles and they built the Golden Gate Bridge. Okay? Uh, so, so, this is a good thing. So, there's a place for that kind of hope. Right? But there's a place where that kind of hope doesn't work. There are some things that we just cannot do. No matter how smart we are, no matter how good we are, no matter how hard we work, no matter how much energy we put into it, there are some things we just cannot accomplish. And Abraham was confronted with something like that. Abraham was confronted with the promise of God that he would become a father of many nations. And he was, as the Scripture here says, as good as dead. And his wife, through whom the promise to us to be realized, her womb was dead. Okay. When, you, when you're faced with circumstances that are absolutely beyond your capability, that's a time when you hope against hope. And so Abraham was hoping against hope. His hope was in God. He had no hope in himself. He had no hope in Sarah. He had no hope even uh, in Ishmael because God had said very clearly it wasn't going to be through Ishmael. He had no, he had no hope in his servant because God said it wasn't going to be. He had no hope other than God. So, in hope against hope, he believed. Okay? And then I want you to notice what it says. It says, in hope against hope, he believed what? In order that he might become the father of many nations. Now, I want you to notice that. Abraham believed in order that. What would have happened if Abraham had not believed the promise of God? Well, I would conjecture he would do what he had tried to do in 
cope it himself and take it on himself and try to do it. I don't think that's what you were doing. Well, yeah, he probably would have done that. In fact, on a couple of occasions he did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He placed, instead of hoping in God, he tried to use his hope in man and tried to do it. Okay. Okay. So the question is, would he have become a father of many nations if he hadn't believed God? He wouldn't have. He wouldn't have. You see, God had spoken a promise to Abraham. But the only way that promise could be made secure to Abraham was if he believed. And Abraham knew that. That's why he believed. How do I know that's why he believed? Because that's what it says. Yeah, yeah. Abraham believed in order that he might become the father of many nations. So it wasn't enough that the promise was out there. It was necessary that Abraham believe. Because without faith, the problem could not be secured to Abraham. This is important for us to understand. That that all the promises of God that He makes to us are ours only because we believe. And in order to secure those promises, we must believe. That's what Scripture teaches. So, so Abraham became the father of many nations, but he did so, he became the father of many nations because God promised it to him and he believed the promise of God. And had he not believed the promise of God... The scripture, I think, implies quite clearly he would not have become the father of many nations. So we understand something here about faith. That faith really is the thing that secures for us the promise of God. Now, I, you know, I, I, I don't know necessarily why God chose to do it that way. You know, I, I, I can't really argue with him. But God has chosen that His promises to us are actualized in our life when we believe. And if we do not believe, those promises are not actualized. Okay? Now, we tend to think kind of backwards about this. We tend to think, okay... Uh, you know, here's some big, great thing that, that I need God to do and I want God to do it, but it's really impossible. And so, since it's impossible, I'm not going to believe. Now, I know you're sitting here and you're thinking theologically, thinking, well, you know, no, we don't do that. But, of course, we do do it all the time, don't we? We look at the impossibility of situations or circumstances. We contemplate that impossibility. And we conclude that it is impossible. And so we decide it's not worth investing faith in. So what we do is we invest faith only in those things we consider possible. Alright? Now, I know we don't want to admit that that's what we do. But we often do that. 
And then when we refuse to invest faith in that which we consider to be impossible and the impossible doesn't happen, we go, well, it's a good thing I didn't believe in that. Right? And we've got the whole thing backwards. Because the reason it didn't happen was not because it was impossible, but because we did not believe. You see, I think it's so hard, I can't risk basing my life on that. It's so impossible, I can't risk trusting God. And then it doesn't happen, and I go, well, see, that justified my unbelief. And when I get to heaven and stand in the presence of Him who gives life to the dead and calls into being those things which do not exist, what's He going to say to me? He's going to say, Rick, do you have any idea how many things you missed out on? Just because you wouldn't believe me. Just because you wouldn't trust me. You know this situation here, Rick? It could have gone this way, but you didn't trust me. Or it could have gone this way, but you didn't trust me. But Abraham hopes against, uh, hopes against hope and believes in order that he might secure the promise. And then he goes on to talk with us some about what that faith is like. And he tells us two things about what Abraham thought about. And there are two things that Abraham contemplates. There are two categories of things. To use our term categories. There's two categories of things that Abraham contemplates. And one of the things that Abraham contemplates is the impossibility of the situation. Right? So in verse 19, he says, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now, this is an interesting thing about faith and about Abraham's faith. Is that Abraham's faith contemplated the impossibility of the situation. And I like this about Abraham. I like it about Abraham that he didn't live in a fantasy world. I like it about Abraham that he didn't live in an illusion. He didn't go, well, God's given me the promise, so obviously my wife's womb is not dead and I'm not really a hundred years old. He didn't do that. That sometimes is our definition of faith, isn't it? Sometimes our definition of faith is convincing ourselves that what's real isn't real. Or what isn't real is real. But it's striking to me that Abraham's faith is rooted in his contemplation of the impossibility of his circumstances. That actually is foundational to faith. 
The foundation, one of the foundations or bedrocks of true faith is a thorough grasp of the impossibility of the circumstances. Because if I am not thoroughly convinced of the impossibility of the circumstances, instead of trusting God, what am I going to do? I'm going to hope in man, right? I'm going to want to build the Golden Gate Bridge, okay? But I... But we're not talking about building the Golden Gate Bridge here. We're talking about doing those things which it is completely impossible for men to do. And so, one of the things I have, one of the things I have to come to grips with if I'm going to have true biblical faith is I have to come to grips with reality. I have to contemplate my deadness and the deadness of Sarah's womb. And that's pretty cool. So you get this picture that God comes to Abraham and he gives him this promise. And he says, okay, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And Abraham goes, oh, that's pretty cool. And so he, you know, after supper, you know, he... uh, he grabs his little flashlight and he goes out on a rock out there outside his tent there at Bethel or wherever he happened to be at the time. And he grabs his flashlight and he goes out and he sets out on a rock, you know, and he kind of looks up at the stars and he contemplates, the, you know, God's promise about the stars. And, and then he starts thinking, okay, now, I'm 100 years old. And as far as my ability to father children, it's gone. And, and then there's my wife over there and I love her and she's precious to me and she's been by my side now for these many, 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 many decades and she's stayed with me and she's been faithful to me and she's loved me and I love her, but, but she has never, ever, ever born a child and she's approaching 90 years of age. She's long past menopause and she couldn't bear a child even when she was fertile, but now she's way past menopause. Her womb is dead. And he, and he takes time, if we can picture this, sitting out there on that rock, thinking about and contemplating. The word there could be translated studied. He studied the deadness of his own body and the deadness of Sarah's womb. And we, we won't really ever come to faith, folks, until we come to grips with our deadness, right? So, what Abraham did here was foundational. It was foundational. It didn't operate counter to faith, but it was foundational to his faith. So, he's out there on the rock and he's sitting there and he's studying his deadness and Sarah's deadness. And what is the result? His faith grows weaker, right? What? No? How do you know? Okay. It says that he did not grow weak in faith. Now, see, what we want to, what we want to say about faith is, and about this whole thing about faith and, and getting a grip on believing God, is that if you think too much about the impossibility of the situation, your faith is going to grow weak, right? Right? Well, I suppose if that's all you did, yeah. 
<laughs> That's not all Abraham did. We'll get to that in a minute. That's not all Abraham did, but it was important that he do that. So there's not only is there nothing wrong with contemplating the impossibility of the situation, it is in fact a necessity. We need to contemplate the impossibility of our situation. And we don't need to be afraid of contemplating the impossibility of our situation because that does not lead necessarily to a weakness of faith. See, that's what I'm afraid of, isn't it? I'm afraid that if I really stop and think about how this thing is out of reach, that I'm going to grow weak in faith. But if, when I'm looking and contemplating how this thing is out of my reach, my faith grows weak, it wasn't really faith in God, was it? It was faith in myself. It was, my, it was that first kind of hope, right? The kind of hope that builds the San Francisco you know, Bay Bridge or the Golden Gate Bridge. You know? it's, it's that kind of hope. And as I look at that and, and I look at that project I want to do and I think, oh, that's impossible and my faith grows weak, it's because my faith was not in God. But my faith was in something about my ability to accomplish the impossible. And when I realize and contemplate that it's impossible, my faith dies. But not if it's hope in God. So Abraham, it says uh, in, in verse 19, says, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body now as good as dead. So that's the first thing he contemplated. In verse 20, we get the second thing he contemplated, which is what? Doesn't word it the right way, so don't let that throw you. I mean, doesn't word it the same way, so don't let that throw you. But what is he contemplating? The promise of God. But with respect to the promise of God, it says, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith. So while he's out there on his little rock thinking about the impossibility of the situation, the other thing he's thinking about is the promise of God. God said, I'm going to make you father of many nations such that they will be more numerous, as innumerable as the stars of heaven. And so Abraham thinks about that and he thinks, God said he'd make me the father of many nations. My situation is so impossible. I'm as good as dead. My wife's womb is dead. It's just, there's just no way. But God said to me, he said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. How many times do you think Abraham, in those 25 years of waiting, how many times do you think he went back and said, but God said, but God said, but God said. And as Abraham did that, what happened? He grew strong in faith. 
Now, it says something interesting here about Abraham. It says, he did not what? Waver in unbelief. Now, you all are reading that and going, huh? Right? (laughs) For those of you who are with us, as we went through Genesis and spent how many months studying the life of Abraham? Is that what we remember? (laughs) We remember the story of Hagar and Ishmael, don't we? We remember him laughing when God came to him in chapter 17, once again with the promise. Him laughing and saying, somebody my old having a kid, you've got to be crazy. Well, he didn't say it that way. <laughs> so what does Paul mean when he says that Abraham did not waver in unbelief? Well, he's not saying that Abraham did not have his moments. Abraham never gave up. So he's not saying that Abraham didn't have his struggles. In fact, the phrase that says he grew strong in faith implies what? Well, yeah. But what happens but before you're strong, you're what? You're weak. Right? So the very phrase itself that he grew strong in faith implies there was a time in Abraham's life when he was not as strong. So it's not that Abraham never had his moments in which he in which he stumbled or tripped a little bit in his faith. But the life of Abraham is a life of consistently living his life out as though the promise of God were true and sure and trustworthy. So he lived his life overall consistently based upon the promise of God. That's why he went to Canaan in the first place. That's why he stayed in Canaan all those many years, although he never really actually ever owned the land. Because he had that promise from God. And he was not going to let it go. And he had his difficult moments. But even in his difficult moments, even this deal with Ishmael, and even when he laughed there in Genesis 17, even at those moments, it wasn't that he had completely abandoned the promise of God. It's that he was trying to figure out how he could get it done. Right? So it wasn't that he just had totally shrugged off the promise of God and blown it off. He just thought, well, maybe, you know, you have to remember that at the, that at the time the whole thing with Hagar happened, he did not have a specific promise from God that that descendant would be through Sarah. So, so there never really was a point in Abraham's life where he just threw it all overboard. He did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith. Now, how does somebody grow strong at something? Exercise. So, can you describe exercise? What is exercise like? Say you want to develop your biceps. Okay, what do you do? 
Okay, repetitive what? Practice. Pardon? Exertion. Exertion. Uh, what? You know, brushing our teeth or what? Yes. I mean, I'm using my arm to brush my teeth. There's resistance. There's resistance. Okay? So I want to develop my biceps. I go and I buy a set of barbells, right? And I put that bar down there and I put little two and a half pound weights on either end, right? And I, you know, I just barely get it up, you know, right? Okay? Just barely get it up, okay? And I do that for a while and oh, that's pretty easy. I put it down and I put five pound weights on, right? And I do it and I do it pretty hard and then. You know, and pretty soon I'm putting 50 pound weights on. And then if it weren't me, if it was somebody else, maybe 100 pound weights, right? Okay. And the point is that strength is developed through the resistance that it overcomes. And at first it's very difficult. But as it's done through repetition and through practice, eventually it gets easier because we are growing in strength. And that's what Abraham is doing. Abraham is overcoming the resistance of the impossibility of the situation. That's why he keeps thinking about it. Because he goes and he thinks about the impossibility and then he comes over here and he contemplates the promise and every time he does that, it gets a little easier to lift that weight of the impossibility by faith. And he does that, and he does that, and he does that, and he grows stronger in faith. Are you getting stronger in faith? You know, you're not going to get stronger in faith sitting in the easy chair watching the Sooners get clobbered by Notre Dame. Well, maybe you will. I don't know. But you're not going to get stronger physically by sitting in your easy chair lifting cookies to your mouth as much as I can go for that. Okay? That doesn't develop strength. Developed strength means getting out there and doing those things which are difficult to do. And developing strength in faith involves contemplating the impossibility of our situation. And then contemplating the promise of God. And so he grows strong in his faith And he gives glory to God and he becomes fully assured that what God had promised he was able also to perform. That's what faith looks like. Faith looks like something like this. Somebody who's growing stronger in overcoming the resistance of the knowledge of the impossibility. Faith looks like somebody who, in the face of the impossibility of the situation, is glorying in God. And faith looks like somebody who, facing the impossibility of a situation, becomes fully assured that God is able to do the thing that He promised. Well, all of that is well and good. And I've talked in kind of vague terms here today about believing God's promises and all that sort of thing. And there's many applications of this passage in our life, isn't there? That's why we like this passage. Because we can just see all kinds of ways in which it applies in our life. But now I want to bring you back to Paul and Romans and chapter 4. What is Paul's point? 
What's Paul talking about? Why is he writing this? He's talking about salvation. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about salvation, folks. He's talking about why faith is necessary for salvation. Why faith is necessary for justification. Why faith is necessary to have righteousness credited to me. Why faith is necessary in order to secure all the promises of God associated with salvation. That's what he's talking about. And so, so when he's when he's saying this stuff, when he's saying this stuff, he's thinking in terms of us hoping against hope that we would be saved. That's what we're doing, folks. We're hoping against hope because there is no human way. There is no way I can do this. He hoped against hope, believing in the promise of God, and contemplated his own deadness and the deadness of Sarah's womb. And, you know, so many people want to get saved by thinking about how good they are. And Paul said, no. You don't get saved by thinking about how good you are. You get saved by thinking about how impossible it is. You get saved by realizing how inadequate and unable you are to lift yourself up by your own bootstraps. How impossible it is for you to live a righteousness that satisfies the holiness of God. You cannot do it. And so when we recognize that we cannot do it, when we have contemplated our own deadness and the deadness of Sarah's womb, when we've thought about that, then with respect to the promise of God, we cast our faith on Him because He has promised us that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so I cast myself on Him. And I cast myself on the promises of God. And I'm saved. That's all there is to it. It's the end of human effort. No credit to me. All the credit goes to God. But He did say, And we must believe in order that we might be saved. And so, as impossible as it looks, and when I look at myself, and the more I look at myself, the more impossible it becomes obvious to me. Right? The longer you live, you go, this is... This is not good. <laughs> this is not good. I am really in dire straits. I need a Savior. We have a Savior, folks. Cast yourself on Him. Okay?